Hello and welcome to Duelist Unity Raw, episode 26. I am riding the spectrum, understanding the inevitability of experiencing all ends of the spectrum. There's really no use in trying to avoid it or or clinging to one end as I experience something that I prefer because you know it really just comes down to how lightly can you take the variability in your experience of the entire spectrum and that is all it ever comes down to there is no belief system or ideology that's going to allow you to avoid any side of the spectrum so how lightly do you want to take it how unserious that's not a word how unserious do you want to take the spectrum is i think what it comes down to at the end of the day and i am not enlightened i don't want to be enlightened there's no enlightenment to get to and i want to make this very very clear to everyone listening that if you think this is about enlightenment or achieving enlightenment it's very much not i'm not enlightened there is no such thing if there's anything that i am it's as authentic and grounded as possible to remind you that you can be authentic and grounded that you don't have to be anything else, that you don't have to try to be more than you are. That's the reality. You can call it enlightenment if you like, but it's really nothing like what you're envisioning it is. Enlightenment isn't the state that you imagine it to be. Enlightenment is what remains when you allow yourself to be what you already are. So with all of that said, I hope you enjoy this live stream that is Dualist Community Raw, episode 26 back at her i gotta say yesterday's uh dating and relationships workshop was a blast i really really enjoyed the conversation that we had i enjoyed everything that everyone contributed in the last hour in the q a section there were some really profound insights that i thought we worked towards throughout that first section especially given that the first day really was focused on just the foundation before you're looking at dating, before you're looking at relationships, you should be looking at where that's coming from, why you're in it, what you're looking for, why you're looking for it. Because if it's coming from a place of lack, if it's coming from a place of need, if it's coming from a place of I should, or everybody would expect me to do this, this is what society says I should do, any of that, it's pretty much destined for toxicity at some point, or resent, or both, and inevitably depression and breakup and so on and so forth, because there's no clarity. It's coming from a place where it's a reaction to a sense of lack, or it's a reaction to an emotion that you're not enjoying, rather than clearly going, no, I'm good with my emotions, but it'd be fun to walk with someone. That's very different. So that was day one, and today is day two. We're going to be continuing on tonight. For anybody who would like to join us at 7 p.m. Eastern time, you, you can still get tickets. Yes, the copy, uh, the digital copy of the first day will be made available on Tuesday or Wednesday. The whole thing will be available on Tuesday or Wednesday. So even if you missed day one, you can still get a copy of the first day if you continue to join us tonight. I'm going to done, I'm done making that complicated. You can tell it's first thing in the morning and I have a slight hangover. Oh, uh, yeah, that it was a lot of fun. And I do very much appreciate everyone's questions that was there because that really added to the conversation. And I, I just love like Q&A portions. That's why I'm excited for the uh, 
Colin show. We got ah oh shit. That's not till two. I thought that was tomorrow. I'm like excited for it. We're talking with uh with Scott tomorrow though. That'll be that's always a blast. But uh yeah, I, I texted you afterwards and I I was just curious like what a uh a dating workshop with someone who's super egotistical would look like because I can't imagine like after that discussion, I can't imagine what it would look like because it would be so different and so rooted in this idea that you know you might be lacking a little bit until you get a partner and it's like oh it's totally normal to you know want a partner that's a that's a good thing it's a normal part of our society blah 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 and you you said you've been in so so i'm just curious like what that looked like because i can only imagine but i would be very intrigued <laughs> it is it's interesting because it's very much what you would expect it to be uh, it's the typical Andrew Tate stuff to some degree. But on the other hand, you have the guys who are like, you know, oh, you just got to learn how to talk the right way, dress the right way, act the right way, and you can get any woman, right? And and so there's that, but it's always egotism. And it always comes from this place of you're going to feel like a success once you are dating, once you're getting, once you're you're actually out there playing the field, you're going to feel more successful. More people are attracted to you, all that stuff. It's really just coming from this place of, of frankly, desperation. But it's kind of uh, portraying itself as strength and confidence, right? In the same way that again Andrew Tate does, right? Like Andrew Tate sees it as a sign of of like strength that he has such rigid views regarding what a man does and a woman does. And I always get a kick out of that, like his reasoning for why a woman should just do what she's asked and have dinner ready for him and so on and so forth when he comes home. It is simply the fact that, you know, well, I work hard and therefore I don't need to come home and be questioned by someone. It's quite the relationship. How long do you think that's going to last? And it's been interesting because a lot of guys will look at that, especially insecure guys will look at that and go, yeah, you see, because that's what a man does because they're looking for that sense of who they are. Right. Instead of. Right. But that sounds really lonely and isolated for both parties. Because it does. Why even be in a relationship at that point? You may as well just hire a maid. And it's true. And I mean, that's that's entirely the point. Like, what is the purpose? Are you dating for the sake of dating? Or are you dating to improve your life? Or are you dating to express yourself? If you're just dating to share your life with whoever is around, if you're just dating for the sake of the experience, if you're just dating because why the hell not? That's a very different experience than dating because it proves something about you. There's a lot on the line when you're dating to prove something about you. And that's when you go into a date and you're super, super anxious. It's your first date. And, oh, God, what if they don't like me? What if they don't like you? A lot of people aren't going to like you. That doesn't mean anything about you. But it feels like it does with your current mentality on dating. Right? Even somebody coming up to you at the bar, even approaching somebody at the bar is nerve wracking. Why? Because you think it means something about you if it doesn't go the way that you have it in your head. And it doesn't. It doesn't at all, but it will change the rest of your night. Absolutely, it will change the rest of your night. But yeah, uh, dating workshops and seminars and, and, and group discussions and all that, that was uh, because there was a point in my life where I was not very good at talking to people. I, I clammed right up all the time. I was always trying to figure out the right thing to say, how to act, so on and so forth, because I didn't like myself. And so I assumed, well, nobody else is going to like me, so I better change me. And this is what people will like. And so you start dressing a certain way, acting a certain way, treating people a certain way. There's all of these 
ideas of what a real man does or these, these ideas of what a good partner does. You know, you get that whole chivalry stick, however it might be modified to, to uh, match the new mentality, but it's still like you got to open doors, buy flowers, think of her this many times a day or text her or do all that. And yeah, no, you don't, you don't have to do any of that. You, you don't, you don't have to do anything except be yourself at, at the end of the day. And if that's not good enough for someone, then bullet dodge at the end of the day, it just comes down to the fact that we're so fucking needy. Like we just don't want to be alone. We don't. And so we'll settle for anyone who makes us feel like that's a possibility of ending rather than just waiting it out and realizing yeah, you're not going to be you're not going to be alone forever. So long as you're out in the world, you will meet people. Some will resonate with you. Some will not. But to try and match up with somebody based on on them just paying attention to you, and then you you acting a certain way, and they go, "Yeah, you're valuable." Like that that whole intention is unfortunate, and it twists everything that we do, you know, and it it makes it really hard for a relationship to last. And so it's really important to keep that in mind. I don't know. Oh, yeah, we got on the dating subject. That was it. But this is it. This is the difference between dating. So once upon a time, if I was dating, I knew the right things to say and how to say them. I was very sensitive how I was listening. I knew the appropriate responses. I was very romantic. I've read a lot of poetry. I've read a lot of stuff. Like there's, there's things I know. And it was all just manipulation at the end of the day. And it's sad to say, because at the time, I didn't look at it that way. I thought I was putting on my best face for this person, but it wasn't me because I'm not my best face. I'm my whole face. And that's the important part of bringing it. The important thing to bring into a date is you. Because otherwise, you're going to be five, six dates. in. if you're lucky, you could be five, six years in before you finally allow yourself to drop that mask and the person you're with sees who you are. And now they can actually form an opinion of you. That's a terrible thing to do somebody. To wait that long to let them see who you really are. Might as well show them from the start. At least then if they stick it out, you know it's, meant, you know it's actually built on a strong foundation. It's not based on some charade. Yeah, I've certainly found it to be a lot more fun. Just like more fun to go into, you know, going out to get some drinks with some friends, going out to bars, going on dates. Like there's so much more enjoyable knowing that I don't need that person. Cause for a while I thought that, you know, getting, getting with or going on a date with a very attractive girl, like raised my value. And so therefore, you know, you fear it being lowered. And that's, I think something that people don't understand that they have to let go of in order to let go of any sort of fear and nerves is the reality that, you know, if it does go in the way that you hope that it does, it doesn't mean anything about you either. It doesn't raise your value. And I, we, you know, I talked about this uh, a bit last week on one of our episodes, but like, that's what you have to let go of as well is the idea that it's going to add anything to you. And that's going to make it a hell of a lot easier to let go of the fear that it's going to diminish you when you understand that. But when uh, understanding to also just like, I don't know. We're we're in the midst of our workshops. So we might as well touch on some more <laughs> dating stuff. And we kind of covered this yesterday, but focusing on that idea of someone, of the the perfect person. You know, you, you have this idea in your head. You're living your life through an idea. And so every situation you go into, you're seeing it through 
you know, the idea of what you want the person to be as opposed to just being in reality and understanding that that idea doesn't actually exist anywhere outside of your mind. So we cling to this idea and think that, you know, that's what we have to find. And then we miss out on all of the other potential people who could resonate with you when we're caught up in the idea. So it, it, people get so caught up in like, oh, this is my type. That's my type. Like, I don't like this type of person. I don't like that type of person. And it's like, you're just narrowing down your potential options and opportunities and not realizing that that perfect type doesn't actually, doesn't mean anything about the person and, and who they are. It's just a fixation on the surface level idea of them. And, and so you have some boxes. Once you check a few, you're like, oh, this must be, this must be it. I found, I found the right one. They're everything I ever wanted. And they could be a fucking piece of shit. Like, and, and just because they check most of your boxes, you're like, this must be it. And then, you know, you cling, then you feel like you need them. You're afraid that no one ever is, no one's ever going to come around again, like them because it comes down to be, feeling whole and complete in yourself. So you have to be able to see that before, you know, you go into the dating world or get into a relationship or else it's inevitably going to be toxic, rooted in need, rooted in lack. And that's why we started off the workshop talking about, you know, fulfillment in yourself. It's a very important key. And it's funny in the uh, egotistical dating workshops that you've been to, how how all the focus was just on how to be more attractive, like what to the say. Yeah, exactly. Which makes a lot of sense, but is also so fascinating because it just discounts all of the reasons why you're even doing it. It's just like, just get it and you'll be happier. You'll be better. And that's what we focus on. And then it, you know, it cuts out the base right from under us. And then it's just, you know, as long as you have that, you're good. That's not how reality works. Well, that's why you have people like, again, I'm going to pick on Tate because, you know, he's, such a perfect fucking example um he will sit in a room of women who are you know dressed up and they're made to look as beautiful as they can be and they're all the ideal that he knows young boys especially are looking for you know the girls that are on the on the cover of magazines and things like that and he'll surround himself with these girls and what's funny is that somebody who's young and impressionable and thinking yeah, if, if, you know, I had hot girls around me, I'd be, I'd be more valuable. More people would look up to me. They look at that and they go, oh yeah, I got to be quote unquote top G. And it's so funny because none of those women are going to be around in a week. None of those women are going to be around tomorrow. Most of them aren't, aren't even there in the conversation. See what I'm saying? Like there's nothing about authenticity in any of that. There's nothing about the long term. It's all just about how it looks. It's all just about how it reflects on you. But at some point, you actually have to stop being top G or top B or top F or whatever the fuck you want to be and just be with that person in a conversation. And no amount of Lamborghinis, no amount of money, no amount of, of, of boosting yourself up or, or giving yourself a certain role in the relationship, none of that is going to make you more interesting. None of it. And none of it is going to stop you from feeling insecure when that person looks at you in boredom because you are actually not saying anything of value. You're just showing them all the shit you own. 
See, it doesn't last for very long. And that's why Top G doesn't have any long-term relationships. He always mentions past relationships. Oh, you know, I went out with this girl for a week and then it was over. It's like, oh, why am I taking advice from you? But nobody thinks about that because it's all about the end result. No, no, the more dates I get, the more valuable I am. The more people who look at me and want me, the more valuable I am. It's like, why do they want you? Do they want you for superficial reasons? Do they want you? Or do they just want what you're showing everyone because you're afraid to show them who you actually are? And it's really important to keep all of that in mind. But again, we go through stages of ego development. We go through this phase where we are trying to define ourselves and we are trying to define our value. And the only way to do that, according to the brain, is accumulation and competition. Right? And the brain is superficial. You show the brain something shiny, it assumes that it is more valuable than something dull. That's not always the case. So something to keep in mind. But on that track, I want to switch gears slightly here because we do have the second part of the workshop tonight. So we probably should save some of this conversation for, back, for uh, when we do that. We had a message, a video response on Instagram this morning, I think that's when I caught it, um, talking about some of our recent comments about uh, good old Eckhart Tolle. And I just want to preface this by saying, I got nothing but love for Eckhart. Whatever it is that he is doing, he's doing it. It's making ripples. It's the best that he can do. And there's no, no animosity. There's no judgment. We weren't trying to say that he's a snake oil salesman wittingly. But what we were trying to say is that there is certainly a, a narrowed persona. There is a, a smaller spectrum of emotion that Eckhart allows himself to experience. And it's largely based on his perspective of the ego. And that perspective is, is one of preference at the end of the day. And this is the only point that we're making. It's not that Eckhart isn't doing good. And, and the person who made this video actually said, like, you're preaching the same message. And I'll disagree. I'll disagree for the simple fact that it's not about the message. That's the problem. Because as much as the words are great, as much as reading the power of now, as much as even listening to Eckhart, there are insights there in the words. It's how they're embodied and how they come across that diminishes their point. And I've said this about channelers as well. And I'll say this about anyone who has an idea of enlightenment or what it is to live free of your quote unquote ego. It's nothing like what you think it is. And that is the only problem I have with the presentation by Eckhart Tolle, not his words. It's not like he isn't actually you know, hitting the nail on the head when he's talking about being the present. It's how it comes across because it comes across in a way where this is what it looks like. And that in itself is an egotistical preference. That in itself comes from the avoidance of the full spectrum of who, who and what you are. Freedom from the ego isn't the avoidance of the ego. It's the recognition of the ego. It's the understanding of the ego in real time not conceptually, as it's happening. So it never defines you. So you can go from one end of the emotional spectrum to the other. Eckhart could have a, just a good belly laugh. He could come out doing a conga, right? He could do anything he wants. But to him, that would be a danger in terms of getting caught up in his ego. 
See, so there is still that conceptual division. Despite the fact that what he's saying is bang on. It's just in how it comes across. And again, it's not a fault by any means. That's the best that he can do. That's how he's learned to communicate this. And that's how he's, he has decided he wants to experience things. And that's fine. But the problem there is what I just said. That's how he has decided he wants to experience things. And so everything goes through that. Everything goes through that decision, through that filter that he has decided he wants to live within. And that's not freedom from the ego. That's my only point. No hate towards Eckhart. I love Eckhart. I love everything that he's done. I enjoy the ripple that he's made. But again, it creates this fictional idea of an enlightened state where everybody talks like a monotone yoga teacher and rings a bell because somehow that's important and it's not. Yeah. So, I mean, I, likewise, I have no animosity towards Eckhart. I, I credit him. He was one of the, you know, Power of Now was one of the first spiritual books I ever read and definitely helped me in a lot of ways. I think the deeper you go, the more you see people settle on a certain point. And it's not to say that there's anything wrong with settling in a place that is comfortable to you, but it's important to point out that you know, his state is not the end all be all, which I think is what a lot of people have assumed. And he, the other, the other part of this is that he doesn't push it away. He doesn't push back against people seeing him as an enlightened teacher and guru. It's not to say that he, he calls himself one, but there's, there's, there's this difference between allowing people to see you as an idea and something that they want to live up to because there's a lot of benefits to that and pushing against that. You know, someone like Alan Watts or Krishnamurti, they very much pushed against those things. Alan Watts said at best, he's a spiritual entertainer. <laughs> He'll give himself that not a teacher, not a guru. Krishnamurti pushed against it, you know, all the fucking time. <laughs> he, he did everything he can to push against that narrative. Eckhart does not do that in the same way. Again, not to say there's anything wrong with that, but there, there's a level of comfort that he's settled upon and he is okay with you know, not questioning so much of it himself. He's settled upon an idea of what it looks like to be enlightened, what it looks like to you know, be free of your ego. And even just that, the ego is a tool. It's a tool like anything else, like a computer, like a phone, like a tripod. It's just a tool you can use. A lot of people have this assumption about the ego that it's, you know, skews negative. It skews, you know, bad. And so what I see in him is that he's very much settled upon the ego kind of being at least a little bit leaning towards the negative. And so he, the way he talks about it or, or the pain body and things like that in this sort of negative light, as opposed to seeing it as a very neutral thing that you can play with, you can use. And instead of using that and playing with it, he's kind of neglects it. And, and when you see the full spectrum of everything you could feel, do, interact with, he certainly settles upon some preferences, a way of talking, things that he does and doesn't do to fit 
this narrative of what people want to see as enlightened. And it's it's just very much another box. It's not freedom. It's just another prison. It's looks nicer. It's a little bit prettier, a little bit, certainly a lot calmer, <laughs> but it's still a box. It's still a prison. And I think un, until you kind of push back against the idea of being seen as a guru, because if you're seeing yourself as a guru, or you're, you're even just allowing other people to see you as a spiritual teacher or guru, you're caught up in, in identity. Again, you're settling upon an idea of you that people are looking up to. And so you're, they're not going to be able to fully be free in themselves. They're trying to be like you and try to be like the idea of you, you know, find your Buddha nature, find your Ray nature, find your Johnny nature, Sarah nature. It's not about your, your Eckhart nature. You don't have to be like him. He is not the epitome of enlightenment. It's not about being what he does or, or speaking calmly or being super chill all the time. It's about being you as fully as you can, recognizing like you don't have to be anything else other than, than what you are. Freedom is not, does not involve preferences. Freedom does not involve rules or specific ways you have to act in order to be seen as free. It's free in yourself. It's not about fitting a narrative or an idea. And what I see with him is that he very much, you know, settles upon an idea of what enlightenment looks like. And it's very much okay with being seen in that way. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because of course the knee jerk response to defend Eckhart is in itself kind of evidence that the message is being missed because the whole point is being able to question one another. If we're letting go of our ego and our pain body, then me questioning his intentions or me questioning, you know, where he's coming from and that should be fine. There shouldn't be a problem with that at all. Right. If you're feeling defensive that he's being questioned, then you are still investing in your ego, but you're doing so through him. You're attaching to him and what he is portraying, which is exactly the problem, which is exactly the point that I'm making, right? The whole thing isn't for you to become Eckhart. It's not for you to become like Eckhart. That's not what the point is. And so if you're defending Eckhart, you have to ask yourself, how much are you attached to becoming like him because of an idea that you have that it's going to be better than what you're experiencing right now? And, and that's the whole point. That's exactly the problem. That's the only problem. It's the same problem I have with channelers. It's not that what they're saying doesn't have some, some ounce of truth. It's that it's betrayed by the form that it comes in. It's betrayed by how it's being delivered. That's all. It's diminished by the fact that there is that barrier there rather than just being the message. Because that's what we're really talking about, right? It's not about learning about the ego. It's not about having a specific conversation. It's about actually experiencing freedom from that fiction in your head. That's what it's about. It's not about, you know, a specific conversation or philosophy or spirituality or religion or anything. It really isn't. And it shouldn't be. Because if it is, that's more egotistical play. It really comes down to, are you tired of living this fiction in your head and all of the pain that goes with it? And if so, then it's just about that. It's not about acting a certain way whatsoever. It's about coming to terms with that fiction, that it's fictional. Yeah, and, and in you know the mindset we live by for the most part, we want a right way to act. We want rules. We want a blueprint to follow. And, and so someone who, like him or, or anyone really, who doesn't, 
push back against the idea of them having it right, like doing it in the way that people see and think that that's the right way to act. If you don't push against that, you're kind of buying into the idea that there's a right way to be free, buying into one side of the spectrum. Like there isn't a right way to be free. Your, your experience of freedom is going to be similar to everyone else's experience of freedom, but also certainly not the same thing at all. And so, you know, with, with that guard, even early on, I remember I've said this before, like hearing him, listening to him, like I loved what he was saying and everything, but there was a big part of me that was like, is this what enlightenment looks like? I don't know. I don't know if I want to be enlightened. <laughs> like, and it, it still allows for this idea of enlightenment, like this place that you get to, this idea of wanting to become something as opposed to letting go of the idea that there's anything to become. There's nothing to become. You're already it, already there. It's just your idea that you're not is what is left to let go of. All of the barriers you see, the the things that are stopping you from recognizing that you're already whole and complete in yourself. That's what it's about. It's not about you know being able to quiet your mind for five minutes straight or, or sit peacefully and and be super calm all the time. It's just about letting go of all those limiting ideas that keep you from recognizing that you're already everything you've ever wanted. Like right now, right now, anyone watching this live stream, listening to the raw episode after the fact, right now, you're it. You're already there. You're already everything you've ever wanted. And it's just about letting go of everything that's keeping you from being able to clearly recognize that. And then once you do, just about being, just about doing shit you want to do in freedom. Like everything changes and nothing changes. You keep doing the same sort of things, but you're actually doing it in freedom. And a lot of the things you've spent a lot of energy trying to do because you're trying to build an idea of yourself and trying to become more don't seem as important because those weren't actually the fulfilling things. You were doing them out of this obligation to try and build an idea of yourself. And so those become less important and you start doing things that are actually fulfilling in the moment. So nothing changes, everything changes, nothing changes, everything changes. You know, like I, I can't know what it's going to be like after you let go of that idea of yourself as truth. But in a state of freedom, everything that you do and everything you've been striving for just becomes a lot less important all of the things you were doing out of that state of lack, trying to be something. And so you have a lot more energy to just appreciate your life, understanding that like you, you've already made it. There's no place to get. It's just about being here and, you know, enjoying the experience, I guess. But yeah, as long as you're clinging to an idea of what you think it looks like, you're never going to get there. No. And the reason you're clinging to an idea is frankly, because you're afraid. And this is why I always, I always think of it this way, that the most common response to reality, to uncertainty is to try and run away, right? To try and feel better. But the spiritual response, what we're talking about when we're talking about getting rid of our pain body and ego dissolution, all that stuff, is like trying to find a calm field where there's no breeze and nothing is affecting you. And to me, that's a dangerous thing to shoot for because how long is that going to last you are constantly 
the creator of or the participant in both and neither every possible perception of what you're doing at any given moment. That is nothing like sitting in a quiet field. It is like sitting in the middle of a tornado. And so we try to run from it instead of trying to recognize that the tornado can't hurt us. And that's the difference in terms of perspective for me. I'm not trying to get to a place where everything is quiet. I'm accepting that the quiet is always underneath the storm in me. The storm shouldn't affect me. The storm doesn't have to affect me. I don't have to run from it. I have to recognize that it's me. And in doing so, it can't hurt me because it's only a small fraction, a small part of me. Each and every thought, each and every breeze, however you want to look at it, is a small fraction of the storm. But you're the whole thing. It's just that you don't look at it that way. And so you get beat by it. You get thrown around by it. You can't find your center. And so you can't be the center. And so you're terrified of it. And you're looking for a quiet place to escape. When the fact is you don't need to escape. You need to recognize how powerful you've always been and let go. And that's the shift, right? Because we spend our whole lives seeing the tornado, thinking that that's what we have to get rid of. And it's just our opinion of it. It's our judgment of it, that it shouldn't be. And, and because we discount the reality of ourselves, like we don't see that we are it as well. Like we are the eye of the, tor the tornado or the eye of the hurricane, whatever's happening. And, and everything around us doesn't have to have the impact. Once we start to see the reality of ourselves more clearly and see ourselves in everything, we see that we have, you know, so much more influence over everything, but that's, that's a great point too. Cause someone like Eckhart or even, you know, any of the guru, spiritual guru people out there that people look up to, like they, they push this narrative of calming the storm. Like everything is, is peaceful and, and bliss and whatnot. And really it's just, I guess it's almost like the storm is happening outside of us and therefore we allow it to happen inside of us as well. We let it like infiltrate us and it's just letting go of the idea that it can infiltrate us and, and finding that calm within ourselves despite everything. But if you're looking to try and get to a place, you know, you're in a, uh, a lot of people like New York, for example, I, I love New York city. I love being there. I love walking around. A lot of people get super fucking overwhelmed in New York. They see it like a storm. They're like, Oh, I just got to, you know, move to a different city. This is too overwhelming. And I, I see that kind of similar to trying to get rid of the storm, not recognizing that, that the storm you're trying to get rid of is a storm of you, of the idea of you really is, is its own sort of storm. And there's no amount of external peace that's going to allow you to, to let go of the storm inside until you do. And there's no amount of storm outside of you that's going to have impact on you when you're able to let go of it inside of you. Like you see that the walls come down and you see the influence that you can have on it as you find that calm within yourself. But it's never been about doing anything externally getting rid of the storm, but that's the narrative that we're pushed really is, is being in 
controlled environments. And that's where I see Eckhart. He's always in very controlled environments, has a very, you know, doesn't, doesn't get, have a, I don't know, environment that necessarily is, is very turbulent. Um, and that was one of the first things I, when I was in the power of now meditating and all that, I started, uh, my job first job after college. And I was just like, focused on doing one thing at a time, like being very present. And I, I would get messages while I was doing something else and just like not respond to them. Cause I'm like, I'm focused on this. I'm doing one thing at a time, blah, blah, blah. People, I, I had to get kind of brought in be like, Andrew, you gotta, you know, you gotta respond to some of these messages within a sooner than, you know, not right away, maybe, but within half an hour or so. And I was like, what? And I was so confused because I was like, what I'm doing? I'm being present, doing one thing at a time. It's like fucking a Eckhart couldn't work in, you know, <laughs> corporate America, I don't think. And and that's just it is that we we strive for this ideal of it and discount the reality of our environment. And it, like we discount the reality of the storm happening around us and like our our acceptance of that happening and like the potential impact that it could have as we cling to a narrative of ourselves and think that what happens outside means something about us at all so it's it's about letting go of that but it has nothing to do with calming the external storm it's just about recognizing that doesn't have the impact on you that you always thought that it did yeah because the danger here and and i'll say this from experience, you can get so lost in that, that you stop feeling that it's impossible for you to just lose yourself in things because you're always looking out for that pain body. You're always watching, you know, am I, am I falling into my ego? Yeah. You can't really help it. I mean, it's the foundation of your experience. The question is how much, you know, and that will always depend on how aware of it you are. As long as you're aware of it, you can tread right into that territory, play in the ego game, see people as separate from yourself, pick on one another, fall in love, have sex, all of these things. You can play the division game and enjoy it. If you understand what it is, you don't have to avoid it, but it's, it's in the avoidance of it that you're reinforcing it to a large degree. And it's okay to get upset. There's nothing wrong with feeling frustrated. There's nothing, because if there was, then none of your journey would make any sense. You'd always be doing something wrong, but it all adds up to something, doesn't it? That's the point. Eckhart may not say it, but the fact is, is that if he wasn't young and impetuous and frustrated and doing everything else that every other human being does through his teenage years, then he wouldn't be talking about any of the things that he's talking about right now. So they're not a bad experience. And they're certainly not something you should avoid but do recognize where it becomes an unnecessary pain simply because of your overcommitment to it. That's really it. It's just overcommitment at the end of the day. But the whole point is that you're already what you wanna be. It's the noise over top, that's it. And that noise is largely caused by your avoidance, by your running from what you are, right? And as soon as you stop, you sit in the center of the storm and you just allow yourself to watch it that's when you start to recognize more of what it is. That's it. It's just sitting in it. This is the point of meditation at the end of the day. This is what uh, one thing I was enjoying about um, Liam Yamsocks. Uh, he was saying that meditation is cumulative. 
that if you meditate for five minutes today, that adds to all the time you've meditated in your entire life. And that's true. Because what meditation really is, is the ability of is the ability for you to sit down and watch yourself. And if you're really meditating, you're doing so without judgment. So you're watching yourself. And it's just like anything else that you watch for a long time. You start to understand it. You start to get a feel for it. That's the point. How often do you just sit down and watch yourself without judgment? It's all you need to do at the end of the day. And you can do that all the time. It doesn't require you to be all calm and, and monotone. Yeah, there comes a point when just your whole life is the meditation and you're, you're able to use situations as opportunities to learn more about yourself and, and be aware of it and just be intrigued by it and and allow for things to come up and and there's so there's no fear in going into different situations because they're all opportunities to learn something about yourself as opposed to thinking that you know you need that controlled environment you need you need it to be quiet you need you need peace or else it's too overwhelming like the deeper you go, the more you recognize freedom, the more you recognize yourself and everything, you know, and, and find yourself looking at, at the void or, or the abyss of everything. Like it's not, it's not a calm thing. It's not like the fairy tale sort of fairy meadow bliss flowers everywhere type thing. It's everything. Like, I don't know, for me, it looks a little more like this than, you know, a playful field. It's like, staring into infinite eternity and that doesn't have preferences i think that's where so many people get caught in the ideas of freedom enlightenment all of those things is thinking that you know it's it leans towards peace and and positive things things you enjoy experiencing but there's no preferences in the reality of of freedom it's just freedom and and in that you you recognize the reality of you and you're able to take a take everything a lot less seriously i think is is the benefit if anything but it's not about your preference so it's not about always being in the state of bliss and calm and peace it's about being able to experience the entire spectrum without getting lost in it without thinking that, oh, this, I, I, I can't do that. Cause I don't know if I can handle that. It's like you go into everything being like, yeah, I can, I can handle that. Cause I am, I am that there is no me that's separate from this experience, from these feelings, from anyone involved. And in that, like everything becomes kind of more game-like or at least dreamlike. And I think that's, that's it as well is through clinging to preferences and narratives, what you think enlightenment is, you're never going to recognize the reality of all of this being your dream. You can't get there through, you know, the calm, sitting, peaceful, enlightenment, fucking bullshit idea of what it is. That's such a limited sort of egotistical view on, on peak reality. And, and that, but that's where we get caught in wanting to be comfortable, wanting to settle into 
our preferences, having an idea of what enlightenment is and striving to reach it as opposed to freedom and the recognition that this is all your dream. And in that, there's so much more influence and so much more potential enjoyment for the experience because you're not so limited. You're not limiting everything that you can possibly do through clinging to a narrative and trying to make that narrative look the best according to your preferences or everyone around you's preferences. But yeah, freedom is not about even just like, it's not even about having a quiet mind. It's like that is a byproduct of it. Certainly peace, calm, enjoyment of your experience are byproducts of it. But as long as they're the thing that you're striving for, never going to get there. They're byproducts. They're not endpoints. But you see, what you just said is impossible to market. Because what are you going to tell people? Hey, so we're not going to help you avoid the beating. But by the time the beating's over, it won't hurt as much. How do you market that? You don't market that. That's the whole thing. Like that's just life in a nutshell. All you can do, and and again, this is 20 years of my life thinking about this, is be willing to go through the beating with people. It's not about selling them anything. It's about living and going, hey, I'm doing all right. Do you want do you want to talk about it? You know, it's like, see how that hit me and it didn't bother me? Let's talk about that. Right? And that that's really it. It's not necessarily developing a thick skin so much as developing sensitivity so that way there isn't there isn't a hit that doesn't roll off. And that's really it. That's why I like uh, Dragon Ball Super, the idea of ultra instinct, because basically the whole concept is being in such a state of mind where you're not thinking about you at all. And so your body is moving completely autonomous based on what's happening in the moment and all parts of your body are moving independently of each other. So you're in, com in a complete state of fluidity that if there was ever, you know, a, a way to communicate it, it's kind of that it's just allowing yourself to be what you are and sinking into how sensitive you can be. Right. But recognizing in that sensitivity that there's also strength there. Right. With that sensitivity comes fluidity, comes the ability to roll with what's happening. That's really all it's about. But again, marketing that you can't, you can't at the end of the day, because when you're marketing, and I know this from being a marketer, you are providing people a quick solution to a problem. We're saying it's actually not a problem. It's just the way you're looking at it. So we're not trying to get people out of anything so much as just say, you can get more out of that. If you'd like to, if you'd like to, and that's pretty much it. So that's the whole thing, right? How do you sell those books? It's difficult, but we're going to try because we have a book or rather we have a book that we are working on. I'm very excited about that. Uh, just a quick announcement, our tier three patrons, because we're so grateful for all of their support as we continue to move forward with this, are being, are a important part of the book writing process right now. Andrew and I have decided on a book, we've even come up with the title, though I can't share it here right now, it's good. Um, and right now we're working on the structure. And so every month we talk to our tier three patrons about where we're at. Uh, at the moment, we're writing up an introduction to the book and then we're gonna be working on chapter one. So if you'd like to be a part of that, you can join us on Patreon in tier three.
and then you can do that because that's going to be a lot of fun as well. There's a bunch of other perks for tier three as well. As I mentioned in the credit roll of each and every one of our video, video episodes, we really do appreciate the support. Uh, likewise, Tuesdays, we have a new tier two segment every alternate Tuesday where you can join us for a group episode and actually be on the new roundtable ta- round segments for Dualistic Unity. If you haven't checked it out yet, roundtable number 10 was uh, released, I think, last week. Yeah, because this week's the call-in show. Uh, check it out. It's awesome. It was a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to doing it again next Tuesday. And then this Tuesday, we are doing a call-in show where, of course, there will be a link that you can click to get the phone number or join us on Zoom. And you can chat with us in person for 10 to 15 minutes, and we can talk about whatever it is you'd like to talk about. Yeah, I'm I'm pumped for that call-in show. I really liked. I mean, we've only done it once so far, but it was a blast. Like we had, I don't know what seven or eight people on, and just like went went through questions, chatted about stuff. Some people didn't even necessarily have questions; they just wanted to talk about some stuff and you know get our get our insights. And yeah, that that was a lot of fun. It's always a blast getting people involved, whether it's you know a Q and A, a roundtable, call-in show all that stuff because there's there's a lot of different experiences and perspectives out there and a lot of people have questions and a lot of people aren't able to talk about this stuff in their lives so that's why i really enjoy you know the patreon calls that we do every week because a lot of people are like i have no one to talk about this stuff with and we're like we're talking about it all the time like hop in join us share your stuff uh yeah and and that's been a really it's becoming a I don't know, stronger and stronger community. And I really enjoy just interacting with everyone as often as as often as we're able to. So that's always a lot of fun. But going back to um, one of the last things we were talking about with what it's really all about. And you said you said it, which um, I think what did you say? It's just about thinking about yourself less, really, is what it comes what so much of this comes down to. It's not about fitting an ideal or getting to a state of peace or getting yourself somewhere it's about letting go of that idea of yourself and the idea that you need to get it somewhere you need to get it to a state of peace you need to get it to a state of freedom freedom is freedom from the idea of yourself it's not through the idea of yourself that you find freedom the idea of yourself is a prison you can't find pre you can't find freedom through prison you're not going to find freedom in a prison cell. And that's one of the funniest things. Like people think people are reinforcing their prison cell, thinking that that's going to get them to freedom. But you can let go of the prison cell. You don't have to think about yourself so much, but you know, that's letting go of everything that you've relied on for a sense of value for so long. So there's obviously a process there. Sometimes I, the way I talk about it, like maybe sounds like it's, it's a really easy thing to do. And it certainly isn't like, there's so much in our reality and our society reinforcing the ideas of ourselves, the ideas that we're, you know, a human being separate from everyone else, everything else separate from reality. But that's the root of all of our mental health issues is feeling divided from everything, feeling alone in the egotistical sense, not in the sense of alone that you're, that you're everyone and everything that's ever been and ever will be. 
And so that's really what it comes down to is the idea of you getting in the way, bring, being brought into everything that you do. And, you know, on the flip side, it's not about killing that idea either. It's about recognizing that it's not the reality of you and still going into things using the idea, but there's a, there's a lightness that comes with taking it less seriously. And you're able to have a little bit more fun with the experience through taking it less seriously. But all of these things come down. It's not the idea of what you think it is. It's just about letting go of the idea of you getting anywhere that isn't here now. Because you know, as long as you think you have to get it somewhere, you're going to feel like you're not in the right place now. And it's going to be the rest of your reality until you recognize that you've always been in the quote unquote right place. So I wanted to talk about that briefly. And what I mean by that, because I understand that's pretty vague, um, is the process that we're involved with, what's happening here in terms of this discussion growing and what you're going through in your own individual life. I was talking to one of our tier three supporters actually uh, on Friday, because one of the benefits of being a tier three supporter is that you get a free one-on-one -on -one call every three months or every four months. So you get to connect with us regularly and we get to see how you're doing, not just, you know, in the groups, but one-on-one -on -one from time to time, just to touch base. Anyway, we were talking about this and he's a little bit older. He's around my age and he was admitting that, you know, it's been a hell of a long journey and it's been so hard because so much of our culture isn't having this conversation. You try to get outside of the influence of your, of your sense of lack or of your identity. And then somebody comes over and they're looking at you through their self-image, pulling you back into behaviors that maybe you're trying to get out of, or people are just self-involved and you're constantly under stress and pressure. And so it's really hard to change. And there's nobody around you to have this conversation. And nonetheless, you're just slugging it out, trying to change, trying to do this for your own reasons. And in that process, especially if, again, you're a little bit older and you've been on this road for a long time, it starts to seem like there's nobody in the world that's actually doing this. And the whole reason that we've created dualistic unity, actually, I wouldn't say the reason, but I think not the purpose, but what dualistic unity is an extension of is the growth of that discussion. There are more and more of us having this conversation with ourselves. There are more and more of us on this path, but, and we are also surrounded by people who are pushing and pulling in an old mentality. And so if you're going to look at anything right now in terms of your own individual growth, look at it as, well, a cultural zeitgeist, but the beginning of one. It really is the beginning of a large change in our collective mentality, but that requires a, a, a small change in certain people first. And those people are you. You are one of those people. So you may not be surrounded by people right now who have this conversation, but at some point, somebody else is going to wake up to this and they're going to find you where you didn't find someone else. And just like that, dualistic unity grows. And then somebody's going to find that person and you where there was nobody else. And so very slowly, we're filling in the cracks. We're actually making it so there is an infrastructure for this conversation to happen, there is people out there having this conversation because right now there aren't. There's so far and few in between. And when people are having this conversation, again, it becomes mystical and esoteric instead of being just a grounded conversation, a conversation about coming into alignment with your existence. So this is a ripple, not the beginning, obviously, because this ripple has always been there, but this is a sizable wave. 
it's growing and it's growing with each and every one of us who adds to it through just working on ourselves. The environment is changing through us. And that may be small consolation for somebody who's been at this for 20, 30 years on their own. Well, yeah, well, where was everybody else when I was going through this? At least you're here now. That's a benefit. And if you didn't have it, how good is it that you can offer it to someone else? That's why we're doing this. Because we can, because our own journey is very much like yours. We're not surrounded by people who want to have this conversation either. So we created a way to have this conversation. And we did so because we were inspired to do so by people like you. So we're all in this together. Yeah. And if, if you've been going through it for that long, like you undoubtedly had influence over this conversation coming to more of the forefront of society, not to say the forefront, but more so than it was, you know, 20 years ago. And so you going through it for so long, you may wonder, you know, where was everyone else back then? It's like, if you hadn't stuck with it and kept going through it, good chance it wouldn't be happening the way it is right now. So you certainly had influence over that. And yeah, it's, it's interesting even seeing that perspective. Like I can't even imagine 20 years going through this, like, and not really having anyone else who's seeing it like you do like, Oh, Jesus Christ. I'm, I I've said this before, but like, I feel spoiled in that. I, I have, you know, now groups of people that I'm able to talk to about it who totally get it and resonate with it. No, we can make jokes about religion without people like being like, don't do that. That's wrong. That's disrespectful. It's like, yeah, well, religion is pretty fucked up, so we can make some jokes about it here and there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, like how much of, I guess, just in your experience, like how much, how was it so unwavering for you? Was it just, I guess the, the impact of the hell that you went through? Certainly. Cause not to say that I wouldn't have, but like, I think obviously for you, that was, yeah, I guess it's that extreme. Cause I, given mine, like, I don't know if I, if I didn't have someone to talk to you about this, I might just put it in the background and be like, oh, I saw that. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to put that in the, in the attic for a little while until maybe someone else comes around asking me about it and like definitely experience my life through that lens more so because you can't unsee it once you do but i don't think i would have necessarily gotten to the depths and stuck with it as much as i have if i hadn't been able to converse with people about it are you conversing with people about it uh no <laughs> exactly no one, no one other than myself that's what stuck that's the unavoidable truth right so nothing's really changed for me except that now the other voice has a face right as opposed to just being my voice talking to me back again right and that's it is i mean nothing nothing is ever once you recognize it's just you it just keeps deepening like there's no avoiding it you you can try and that's where people go like oh yeah, i got that whole unity thing did you? Because you're not 
you're still looking at yourself as separate and, and that's okay. And there's nothing wrong with that, but there's more to it. And as soon as you're like, Oh, I got it. The depth stops. Right. What, what really hit hard for me. And I know I've talked about this numerous times on the podcast in the past, go and check it out if you've never watched the podcast, but it was just the recognition of what caused my hell, not just that it caused my hell, but that it was fictional. That the, that the story of me actually wasn't the truth. And of course, I'm going through my life watching all these people suffer. You know, I've described it as watching people hit themselves in the face over and over and over again. And then when you go over and you're like, stop doing that, you're hurting yourself. They're like, stop hitting me. And you're like, you're doing it to yourself, right? And so that was it. It was over the years. Not only was I doing it for my own reason, but you just get tired of watching people suffer for the same reasons that you suffered. And so it really just became, okay, well, if nobody else is going to follow this path to its end point, like if nobody else is going to follow this and see where the fuck it goes, rather than saying an end point, but let's just see where this goes, then I will. You know, it's the same stance I took in terms of uh, finding a spiritual guru. It, ha- it dawned on me that maybe there are none. Maybe the, like, the actual true spiritual gurus are all gone. Maybe all we're left with is an egotistical perspective of what true spirituality is. And it takes us farther away from the truth. And if that's the case, there's no one to look to but you. Are you willing to take that? Are you willing to take the responsibility of being the only one who can suss out any of this? Who can figure out any of this? Are you? Because if you are, then you're good to go. But if you're not, then you're always going to be running around in circles until that you come to that responsibility. What baffles my mind, I'm not going to lie, is the fact that for 20 years, <laughs> I was telling myself that if it's just me, it's just me making ripples. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I'm still making ripples. Doesn't matter what happens. I don't need to see the end result. If it doesn't happen in my lifetime, so be it. 20 years later, to see dualistic unity grow to see this conversation grow, to see so many people willingly get involved, even here in the chat section, in the comments to this video, people talking about it, like, you know, I'm, I'm glad to be here. I want to be a supporter. I, I, I practice this stuff in my life, that stuff. It's a dream come true to me. But you have to understand that to me, if none of you were to come along, I'd still be doing it. Yeah, that. That makes sense. And even, you know, just from, yeah, the depth of the perspective, I guess, that you started out with seeing it, like, one day, it was just that, like, I could see how that was kind of an unshakable recognition. Because even for myself, like, I saw, I didn't see it to that depth immediately. I was certainly, and which is, cool that we have dual security because that was pretty much my process of recognizing it deeper and deeper and deeper throughout like my process of waking up is dual security like seasons one through right now like which is awesome because you know initially (laughs) and uh initially i i recognized that you know the idea of andrew wasn't the reality of me because if i wasn't you know, if I had only ever been here now, then that's the extent of what I am. And if the idea of Andrew is all rooted in the past and that, that can't be me. And that was, that changed my life. Absolutely. That was my initial recognition, but there was still a lot of layers there. I peeled back a couple there for sure. I was able to see everything 
way differently. I wasn't seeing it necessarily through such a foggy lens, but it was still a foggy lens. It was just way fucking clearer relative to the lens I had been looking at, looking through the first, whatever, however old I was, how old was I? 20, 26, um, for the first 26 years of my life. And so that was enough to change me forever and make me curious. Cause I've always been curious about lots of different stuff. And through that, it was just, it, it was, you know, the spark that I needed to keep, you know, digging into that. Cause once I saw that, it was like, I couldn't unsee that. And everything I was talking about was like that recognition. I just didn't realize the depth that that went. Cause if I wasn't that idea of me anymore, that means that there's no bounds to me anymore. Cause that's the boundary is the idea is the concept. Cause all the boundaries that we create are conceptual, you know, be it ourselves relative to to reality fucking countries you know countries don't exist there's no lines in the sand those are all made up they're conceptual divides that we've you know made to be more physical over time but all of those things recognizing that like they they cut off the freedom and and the idea of yourself is certainly one of them and so yeah i guess now seeing myself because i still go very much go in and out of getting caught up in Andrew's shit and letting go of that. Like there, there, there are times when we're talking where, you know, I'm very clearly recognizing that as Ray's talking, I'm talking back to myself. And then I, you know, very often forget that I go in and out all the time. Uh, And I think over time, it's like clarity, that unshakable sort of clarity is in the middle it's like I'm always swinging back and forth, but over time, it's like the pendulum's getting a lot closer to center, but it still absolutely swings. Um, and yeah, so, but that's the process right there. It's not about, you know, being on that the whole time because then, you know, there's no, there's not going to be so much depth to your experience. It's not something that you necessarily have to forget, but it's not something you want to cling to either. No, you actually occasionally want to give that pendulum a swing. I guess <laughs> it's going by, starts to narrow down. You're like, that was fun. Challenge time. And you'll go and throw yourself off balance. You know, kind of in the same in martial arts. Right? In some martial arts, you will deliberately throw yourself off balance in order to accomplish what it is you're trying to accomplish, which seems counterintuitive, right? But the same is true for this, this path that we're growing on. But so I was thinking about this as you were talking uh, about say the difference between my waking up and your waking up and i'd like to paint you a picture if i can i'm not a stupid person i I, i've always excelled at things in terms of learning and and processing information and just taking it in and whatnot my only problem was ever was only ever focus that was always my problem was the ability to actually focus on it rather than thinking about myself and my insecurities and my doubts and where I was trying to be and what I was trying to live up to and all that. And that all undercuts everything you'll ever think about ever. But the point was, is that I love to think, you know, I started playing chess when I was seven, seven and a half years old. I love to think risk was my favorite game growing up. Like whatever is large and complicated, I love to think. And going through my teenage years, my dark period and my hell and everything else, as much as I was suffering, I was always trying to figure out why. 
I was always trying to figure out how to get out of it. Like everything in terms of, of my attention and my energy from day to day to day was in this hell that was in my head, trying to explore all the fucking corners, looking for a way out. It was the majority of my life. It's what wore me down. It's what eventually led me to suicide. I had nothing left. It was all the fight to try and find a way out of this fucking fictional hell. So you can imagine how much thought and energy and attention was going into this all the time. It's what drags you down. And then all of a sudden you recognize <laughs> all that stuff you've been processing. It's not the case. You can actually just walk out. And as soon as you walk out, all of that energy, all of that time, all of that, that focus, all of that processing that's gone into the fiction is suddenly freed up. That's what happened. All of a sudden, all of this stuff that I had been working for years to understand was just gone. And I was just left with processing everything that was left. And so in one night, I went from being depressed Ray to being free God. And it all hit me in one night. And the only thing that's happened over the last 20 years is letting it unpack. You know, allowing myself to get back into a position where I can allow myself to see those insights again, where I can get little Ray out of the way and see the whole. But it was that stark. It was just because there was so much processing going on. And then all of a sudden, I just shut down all those tabs that were unnecessary. And there was nothing left but just processing my existence. And I remember very clearly going, holy fuck, I'm God. And that, that was that night and everything changed after that. But that's why, that's the stark difference is, you know, I came from a room of blackness and darkness where I was trying to feel around on the walls for years in desperation, trying to get out. And suddenly I was out and there was nothing but <gasps> I'm free. And everything just went into processing my freedom. And it dawned on me that what freedom was for the first time, it dawned on me what freedom was. Damn. Yeah, that uh, that makes sense. Why it uh, why it stuck so good? It's almost like there was so much just potential energy built up over time. Because I don't know if I recognize the degree to which you were always trying to get out of it, like all of the energy spent in that regard. That was kind of like circling around the same thing, being the idea, and it was all involved in that. And so is that shift happened it was like all of that potential energy like both dropped off but also kind of exploded like a almost like it's, it's almost like a black hole going into another formation of another galaxy or like another star being born i'm not you know giving you all that but uh i see that as very similar to that sort of experience whereas you know compared to my experience obviously we had very different childhoods and upbringings and family life and all that stuff there wasn't necessarily such a so much potential energy built up like there were definitely bouts of hell that i went through but it wasn't a constant thing for years and it's almost like sometimes just comparing our stories it's it fascinates me that i did wake up like that it that it happened is interesting as much as because we come from such different 
in such different backgrounds. Like our, our, the hells we experienced were so different. The, the childhoods we experienced, the, just everything leading up to sort of waking up was so different, so different, so vastly different that it, I, and we've talked about this before, like it, it is very, it very much interests me how it even happened for me. Cause you know, for you, it's like, there was an extreme, extreme hell there. And so it was kind of either die or wake up for me. There was not like, I've never been suicidal in my life. I've never been to the depths of that darkness that, you know, hitting rock bottom. It was like, I was, I just kind of dipped enough. It was like, I don't need to go through that. Oh, maybe there's another path here, which is fucking funny in comparison. It's like, all I had was like a little, you know, I had a, a week of being caught up in my shit. Which to me, because I would, and it was, it was interesting too, was like, I spent years, yeah, being caught up in like concern about other people, uh, other people's opinions, judgments. It made me like super quiet for very long. I was super concerned with just whatever and thought about me for a very long time. There was a degree of hell there for sure. And then I kind of came out of that through getting into meditation, recognizing people aren't thinking about me as much. So I kind of got out of that and was able to utilize a lot of identity-based practices, what I call them now, you know, gratitude, affirmations, meditation, all those things and, and being more free and then, you know, start posting on social media, whatever. And I never went through an extended bout of suffering after that until the week before I woke up. It was like I was going through all of those cycles. I was very much caught up in worries and securities, blah, blah, blah. And it was like six days felt like eternity. Like it was, I didn't know nothing was working. I couldn't get out of it. And then it was just one day. It was like, well, maybe, you know, if my past doesn't exist, then maybe I'm not Andrew. Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm not. Oh my God. I'm just here now. Oh my God. That idea that has been the root of all of the shit. Isn't it? And it was just, it was six, it wasn't even a week. It was six days. And I was posting about it too. Like I have some TikToks from back. It was July, 2021 where I'm like, I don't know. I'm having a shitty week going through some shit. Nothing's working, blah, 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 blah. And it was just like, you know, kind of just low, very low energy videos for a few in a row. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh my God, everything changed in, in that moment. But it's just funny. <laughs> it's funny in comparison. Obviously, you know, you can't compare anything to anyone else's story and whatnot, but it was like six days for me was enough, which is, I don't know, it's fascinating in just in comparison, because obviously we do have all this stuff together that it was like years versus a week. So in that way, it makes sense that, you know, it wasn't like this crazy explosion. But it was an explosion. It was a letting go. It was a, a, you know, death to a degree of that, a letting go of that prison. Um, and in, it was relative enough for me that it, it, I couldn't unsee it. I like that you brought this up because it's really important. I've been thinking about this a lot because, you see, people who tend to to wake up usually do so from being at the bottom end of hell. 
for a long time, or at least that's been the majority of the time. Anybody I've ever talked to who has a degree of waking up has been through hell to get there. And that's always kind of concerned me to some degree, because when you start looking at the world and you start looking at our fixation on comfort, you start to recognize, oh shit, we're actually getting farther and farther away from a point where we can wake up. And that that is daunting when you start to look at that. You very much dispel that fear for me because you grew up in a life where most people would say you had everything you wanted. And yet you still suffered and you suffered and you went, this sucks. I don't like this. And that's what motiv- that's what gave you that door. That's what gave you the ability it was just the responsibility. And so this idea and this argument that a lot of people make like, oh, well, yeah, but, you know, it's only people who suffer who wake up. It's total bullshit. Absolute bullshit. The, the suffering is self-defined. Rock bottom is self-defined. You don't have to go through the same hell I did in order to have the same awakening. It just has to mean something to you. And that's the thing that inspires me about you, Andrew, and a lot of the people that we've talked to is not all of them come from the same kind of hell that I do. And it's still meaningful. It still means something. It's a priority to them. Because that's the thing. Like you might say, I don't know how I woke up. It's because you're responsible for yourself. It's because it actually has meaning for you. And that's why it continues to happen. It's not something you should do. It's something that in the pit you went, oh, there's a door there. And that's pretty much it. But that's available to everyone. And that's why I enjoy dualistic unities, because you and I do come from two completely different places. That week that you suffered through was a decade for me. That was a decade of my life, you know, and I didn't have anyone there. There was no support, right? I was transient. I was homeless some of the time. Man. Like, like it was, you think the 20 years was tough. That 20 years of working on myself awake was a fucking field trip compared to the 10 years I spent in hell. You know, and, and so, yeah, we have a stark difference in our story, but the same point. And that's why I enjoy this conversation is because it it really is good for anyone. You have to understand, listener, wherever it is you're coming from, it's still possible. You're still, you're still, you're in the same boat, facing the same shit, right? If anything, now there's a conversation happening that you can be a part of, and we're glad that you're here because it just makes it easier on all of us. It's like I was saying to Andrew, you know, like every ripple you make changes the world. So even just you working on your own fear and your insecurity changes everything you do afterwards. That's it. You're actually making it easier on all of us just by working on yourself because you are us. Yeah, and it is, uh, I mean, it's funny how, you know, perfect everything, you know, works out obviously, but how we're, we are kind of coming from pretty much two ends of the spectrum. Like not to say that we're the end points, but pretty far apart and like on either ends of that. And so it's funny because it's it just, I guess it's a great example for people to recognize whether, you know, you're in the, in the pits thinking that, you know, it's not worth being here anymore. Like there's, there's that extreme and Ray has, fully experienced that for a very long time or you're just going through some not that extreme of suffering and you're wondering like is this worth giving up this comfort that i experience most of the time is it worth 
doing that because I think that's a concern on the other end of the spectrum. It's like, yeah, I'm suffering, but you know, most of the stuff's pretty comfortable. Like, do I really want to do this? Because that might be less comfortable. And it's like, trust me, it's a way more enjoyable experience. There is no comparison, no amount of things and and comforts you can experience that are in any way, shape, or form comparative to being free in yourself. Like there, there is nothing that even holds a stick to it. So no matter where you're coming from, obviously freedom sounds great relative to being in the pits of hell, but it's also great relative to being living a relatively comfortable life that isn't always comfortable. There's still suffering that comes with it because anytime you're caught up in your idea of yourself, there's going to be suffering. Anytime you're clinging, living based on a fiction of you, there's going to be suffering. It's not to say that there isn't degrees of suffering as you let go of that, but it's it's entirely different. Everything changes as you let go of that idea. So if there's any example of someone on the other end of the spectrum saying it's worthwhile to let go of that, freedom is a... Uh, incomparable experience to anything in any sort of prison, no matter how pretty you think it is, no matter how comfortable that prison seems to you, doesn't hold a stick to freedom. Yeah. And it really becomes, I think, important to recognize what we're talking about. Like we tend to to look at the journey and go, oh, that that's what we have to get over is the journey. No. We, we all have one collective issue that we're dealing with, that we're struggling to understand. It's one thing, you know, in the same way that it's not that one religion is a certain problem, but the mechanism of belief in itself, right? The real problem isn't the path that contributes to our suffering. It's the phenomenon of suffering. It's the experience of suffering. That's what we're working on. That's all this is about. It doesn't matter how you suffer, how long you suffer, what you suffer through. The fact is that you're suffering. And you can say you are going through suffering. No, no, you are the experience of suffering. And there's something you can do with that. And we're all in that shit together. We all suffer. And if we can look at the experience of suffering in the same way you can look at the mechanism of belief, then we can do something about it. That's what we're talking about. Same thing Buddha was talking about. Same thing Jesus was talking about. Missing the point. Suffering. That's the etymology of sin, right? To miss the mark. What, what happens when you miss the mark? You suffer because you're confused. That's it. So that's all we're talking about. And it's not about how long you suffered. It's about whether or not you're done. It's about whether or not you're willing to look at it, face it, recognize where it comes from, align with it, and stop running from it because it doesn't hurt. It's not that suffering itself is bad. It's just that suffering itself can become a prison unless you recognize its benefit, unless you recognize how it can become a tool. That's really all we're talking about. So no matter who you are, no matter what phase of the journey you're on, whether you're 30 years in, 10 years in, five days in, doesn't matter. It's the suffering. That's what we're looking at because the opposite to that is freedom. And it's not even the opposite because that freedom also includes suffering. It's just that you're free of your fear of the suffering. Yeah, it's it's that you're kind of spanning the spectrum, experiencing the spectrum without so much weight, 
I think. Like I was almost picturing it like being on a uh, a path. Like, I don't know, we could use the rounded thing just because that's behind me. Like if this is the spectrum back here, it's like you're going back and forth on it with a super fucking heavy backpack on. And then you're just going back and forth on it without the backpack so much. Like that's that's kind of what freedom is. But we have this idea that, you know, it's only you hang out on one end of the spectrum, but that's that creates resistance. That means you're not free if you have an idea of where you should be on the spectrum. Like that's not freedom. We have such an egotistical, like I identity-based idea of what freedom is, thinking that, oh, it's gonna be it's gonna be peace and bliss all the time. And that idea is what keeps us from actually being free. Cause because we're caught up in another idea of what freedom is. Freedom is not an idea. Freedom is the freedom from ideas, freedom from the clinging to what defines us thinking that any side of the spectrum defines us thinking that we should be on one end and not the other end thinking that we are on the other end we shouldn't be there and then we resist that and we stay there because we're resisting as opposed to just like you know taking the backpack off and allowing it to flow back and forth go go back and forth but there's with more awareness of it it's not you don't sit on one end as often and you don't it's almost like <laughs> funny like when we're being you know caught up in the idea of ourselves we we see the one end of the spectrum as the peak you know the the happiness the peace the joy the bliss and we have this idea that that's the peak and the peak is flowing back and forth on it so the peak isn't even being on that end but as long as we have this idea of what it is we think that's the peak and it's like no you're just like halfway up the mountain trying to cling to that and you're going to get keep getting pulled down as long as you cling to thinking that that half halfway up the mountain is the peak as you let go of that you can climb higher and you know get to the peak that is freedom being just less weight less seriousness as you experience the whole spectrum because just because you have this idea of what side of the spectrum you want to be on doesn't mean you're not going to experience the other side like that's the thing too. We're always experiencing the whole thing. It doesn't matter what idea that you hold on to, what, you know, how comfortable your life is. The spectrum is inevitable. It's just how much weight you attach to what side of the spectrum that you're on, how much you cling to the preference of being on one end of the spectrum. Fucking A, because no matter what you think, what you hold on to, what belief system you cling to. You cannot avoid experiencing the whole spectrum. It's unavoidable, no matter what state you're in. So it really just is the weight you attach to the end of the spectrum. Because the spectrum's inevitable. Just how seriously you take it. That's what affects you. That's the whole point. That's how the tornado or the whirlwind that you're a part of picks you up and throws you around. That's it. Up until that point, you're fine. It's like Bruce Lee's whole thing. Like, don't pray for an easy life. Pray for the strength to deal with a hard one. Right? Because at least, at least then, it's whatever's coming, I'll make the most of it. As opposed to, please don't let that come, which sucks. Like, we don't want to be there, right? And you're right. We can't avoid the spectrum because we are the spectrum. Isn't that the fun part? Right? We're the entirety. 
every possible perce perception of yourself exists within you. Every thought about yourself exists within you. This is, the, I think, the saddest part when I have a client who's like, you know, I just want these, these judgments of myself to go away. It's like, that's not going to happen. Like, I'm sorry, if you're looking for that, you're, you're going to want to track down a pharmacy. You know, because that's the only way that's going to happen and it's not going to last. It's not about making the thoughts go away. It's about, if anything, recognizing how little they are compared to all the other thoughts. But we take our thoughts super seriously. We will take a fear and turn it into a monster instead of recognizing it's just a tiny fluffy bunny compared to all the other things in there. There are always things to be afraid of. There are always things to worry about. There's always things to judge. There's always things to judge about yourself. There will always be. You can't avoid that, but you can come to terms with it. You can recognize it. You don't have to run because in running, you reinforce. And that's the thing. You need to be able to sit in the middle of that torrent of that whirlwind and just let it be. Recognizing that the only way it gets power over you is when you react to it. Exactly. Oh, man. This one's hitting me hard right now. This, this insight, because even even earlier on this call, like even still, I was thinking, you know, of the idea of the spectrum. I don't know parts of it being avoidable, like understanding that it's unavoidable, no matter what idea of it that we have. Understanding that it's the reality of us is blowing my mind right now. Like. <laughs> And and because as we cling to an idea of ourself, you know, we we think we're only on one side of the spectrum. With the idea comes a point on the spectrum that we desire. And if it's a negative idea of ourselves, we think we're unworthy of experiencing a, the other the other end of the spectrum. And so, you know, as that those feelings start to arise, it's like we almost resist those in a way because we have such a negative idea of ourselves, And if we have a super positive idea of ourselves, we, we resist the negative feelings as they arise and those can, can send us into a spiral. And it's, it's just about being the whole thing, like understanding very, very clearly that you're the whole thing. Cause in that there's not an idea anymore there's not a preference anymore there's not you relative to others and and seeing yourself on one end and seeing them on another and judging them because they're on another and and spectrum by spectrum i mean like all spectrums as the spectrum too like whether it's you know any societal idea of success exists on a spectrum understanding you, that you're a, the whole thing and and desiring one end you're going to judge everyone who's not on that end and if you're not on that end you're going to desire to be everyone on the other end and like freedom recognition of the reality of you is seeing that you're always on every end of the spectrum on all of the spectrums you could possibly think of and that's freedom but that's that discomfort you know that's that space that people don't want to it doesn't feel as good initially because they don't know what that means we have a preference and it's like no i just want that end of the spectrum like just because you want that end doesn't mean you're not going to experience the other end it's going to make it way more difficult while you inevitably do experience that other end and that's oh fuck like that's what it a lot of this comes down to huh 
Yeah. This is why I enjoy walking around looking like a homeless person half the time. Like it drives my wife nuts. She's like, surely you get a new coat. I'm like, why? You know, it doesn't define me. It doesn't mean anything about me. Sure. People may be like, oh, look, look how nicely he's dressed now. But what do I give a shit? Like my coat doesn't define me. I'm not cold. It's not ripped. It's not stained. It's just older. You know, that's pretty much like, so to me, it doesn't make any sense because none of it's self-defining because whether I was rich or I was poor, I'm still me. The whole spectrum. Right. And that's where we tend to get caught up. Right. Like you said, we start to fear the other end of the spectrum or we start to to want the other end of the spectrum. I think that's the worst thing about being poor is how much you tend to idealize being rich. Right? Like everything would be better if I was rich. So you'd still be you. Right. You would still be you. You'd still have the same thing that you're going through in terms of the conscious experience. We all do. You can't get out of it. All you can do is hide from it, distract yourself, maybe drug yourself up, numb yourself as many ways as you can. That's the only way. And that's why so much of our society is distraction and numbing. Because the alternative would be growth. Necessary growth. Because that torrent does nothing but inspire you to grow. Unless you shut it down. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It also makes sense why we're... I don't know, sort of stagnant in a lot of ways in our society. Like we've settled upon ideas and, you know, we don't want to question certain things because they would lead to growth. Even the conversation of like, you know, don't talk about politics and religion in, in mixed company. That's very much an avoidance of potential growth. What we think that, you know, those things are the end all be all that you know, we should just let everyone believe, believe what they want to believe. It's like, you're in this reality with like, you're in my reality right now. I'm going to question that certainly. And if that makes you uncomfortable, maybe wonder why it makes you so fucking uncomfortable. Maybe wonder why you're so resistant to being questioned as you're resistant to something being questioned. It's, it's obviously because you're resisting the potential change that would potentially happen through the conversation. And, and people don't want to change. They're comfortable in that spot. But it's funny how that's become such a common narrative. It's like, it's just because it's uncomfortable and people don't like discomfort. Like, that's why we say, don't mention religion and politics in mixed company. Don't talk about God in mixed company. Don't talk about blah, blah, blah in mixed company. Because it's an uncomfortable conversation only because we cling so tightly to them. Only because we think that those two things are, are very defining aspects of ourselves. And so if they were questioned, if they were discussed, we'd have to discuss the fabric of our identity, fabric of our idea of ourselves. And, and because we think that the idea of ourselves is the reality of us, and we think that that just is what it is, not recognizing that that idea is the root of all the suffering. So as we cling to it and as we avoid or, or do our best to avoid the conversations, the idea of us remains and we continue to suffer. This is why free speech is so important. And, and, and we can talk about rights, but free speech is important because it gives us the ability to have conversation, to get into discussions, to even get into arguments. It's important that we do that in order for us to find some middle ground, to find 
an insight at the end of that argument, because within all of our conflict, there's an insight waiting for us and waiting to bring us together. Right. And so, I mean, this is something that uh, Jordan Peterson, his whole point is, is that in mandating that certain people have to use certain language, you're taking away the discussion about, well, why should I have to? Who are you to tell me to have to? You know, and then the other people can have their point. And then we can say, okay, but what about this point? And there's going to be some middle ground, maybe some compromise. But to take away the conversation, to just go, nope, you have to do this now, stops us from growing. I mean, it seems progressive from a certain mentality, but that mentality you'll notice is the egotistical. So the progress that it's seeing is control. And we know from history, that's not progress. That that, that pendulum is inevitably going to swing the other way. And we're starting to see that swing in Trump and his campaign that's coming up. I don't know if you caught this, this speech that he made last week regarding uh, gender pronouns and, and um, basically uh, gender affirmation surgery, things like that, uh, gender affirmation therapy, all of that. He, he straight up said, like, we're going to shut this down. It can't be. This is a crime against humanity, so on and so forth. And he's making a stand on that. And because we're not having a discussion, people who agree with him are going to side with him, whether they like him or not. So many comments. Oh, my God, I can't believe I'm, I'm agreeing with Trump. You know, and that's the problem of not having a, a dialogue. That's the problem of not finding middle ground. That, that you have people picking a side. And that's how we end up in wars. That's how we end up in conflict. That's how nothing gets resolved. You end up with fascism and, and the oppressed each and every time. And that leads to revolution. We have to be in this together. We have to be having this conversation. And if it's a conversation where you need to make a decision for the entire fucking world, just based on, on a small number of people, don't do that. See, this is what I'm always saying about large governments versus small governments. Everything that's happening in terms of we want to be referred to a certain way is happening in certain areas, which should be able to decide whether or not they want to do that. But to make other areas that don't have that conversation or don't necessarily have representation from that part of the population within them, to force them to think a certain way is just pissing them off. It's just making them feel more isolated. It's just pushing them farther away from the rest of society. That doesn't work. And it's because we're, we're thinking too big. We're trying to create too much in terms of a ripple. This must be done by everybody across 300 million people. That's insane. That's insane through force, unless it's through recognition, right? If it's genuine recognition, totally different story, right? But it's, it's that need to have discussion and we push that away. And unfortunately, a large part of that is the idea that free, free speech is a right. We have the weirdest perspective of rights. You know, oh, this is an inalienable right. Says who? God? Because that's all bullshit. If you have a right, it's because you can defend it. That's the only right you have, is what you're willing to defend. You have abilities, but your rights are what you're willing to defend. And that's it. There's actually a maxim in law that says uh, a person who's not willing to stand up for his rights has none. That's a maxim in law. That is actually part of the essence of the law, that if you don't have, if you don't stand up for your rights, you have none. Nobody thinks about that. They think their rights are granted to them by, the God, by God or worse, the government. Your rights were never granted. There were people who went, these are our rights. 
And that's it. They were declared. They weren't requested. They were declared because who else can declare them other than us? So keep that in mind. Your rights were not given to you. Your rights are there because you're willing to defend them. And if you're not willing to defend them, then they're going to get taken away. So do you think with that, with uh, rights, I mean, yeah, that makes a lot of sense because I think a lot of people are caught up in the idea that, you know, the idea of God-given rights is just fucking funny, I, especially at this point in my life, seeing things a certain way. Because at the same point, recognizing you're God, the other statement of if you're not willing to defend your rights, you have none, makes a lot of sense. God-given rights, you as God are defending your rights. So it makes sense. But like with everything, it depends on you know your perspective that you take. But so do, do you see within those rights like free speech or something that people just assume that they should have it and don't aren't willing to fight for them or or defend them that we we kind of settle upon that and aren't willing to even go against the those who are trying to take them away I think it it comes down to it becomes a really easy argument. So Stephen Fry has a great uh, quote that I really appreciate. And it is, so you're offended. So fucking what? That's the quote. Because at what point does your right to be offended trump my right to speak freely? And that's the discussion. It should be the ongoing discussion. But instead, it becomes, I'm offended. I'm going to limit your right to free speech. Right. Because I have the right to do that. Whereas the other side is like, right, but I have the right to speak. And it's like, yes, but only in this way. And that's where the government gets in the way. And that's where we're not standing up for our rights. The fact is, is that you have the right to say anything you fucking want. Anything you want. And it's funny because people will say, well, what about hate speech? Yeah, that too. Because yeah, you could have laws against it. It doesn't stop it from happening. It just means it happens where you're not noticing. So it's really just about you feeling better about making laws about hate speech. It's not stamping out the mentality by any means because you're not addressing the mentality. You're just making it hide. And that's the important part about it. Right? It's kind of like uh, you know the COVID shot. <laughs> we were making the point that it doesn't stop transmission. It just makes it harder to detect, which means that you could have COVID and be wandering around the world thinking that you're just fine while you spread it to everyone else. It just makes it harder to see. We're not actually solving the problem. And so hate speech law is the same thing. It just makes it harder to see. It just makes it harder to find, right? And then it builds in the background, in the darkness that we're not paying attention to because we prefer it wasn't there, right? But then we said this about Tate, you know, the same thing. A dialogue in the open with awareness would change a lot. If anything, just in terms of the exposure that he's giving other people, right? To take half of that crowd of influ of um, of teenagers who are basically easily influenced by you know people with Lamborghinis and hot girls around them, to take half that crowd and actually have a conversation in front of them, showing him that this is a result of insecurity, to actually spell it out plainly, like no, no, this is this is a tryhard, and right here, this is desperation. That's what that is, and to actually have a conversation about it in front of them would change, if not half, at least some instead of them being off in the darkness, not being changed at all because they're in an echo chamber. 
This is why it's important that we talk about things. This is why it's important that it comes out. It's not going to be pleasant. It shouldn't be pleasant, right? Not everything's going to be pleasant. I mean, and, and the more divided we are, the less pleasant it's going to be until we can find that middle ground. It's really important to recognize that. It's part of the process. It's part of the spectrum. You can't avoid it. And in avoiding it, you're cutting off your growth as always, except now we're cutting off our growth collectively. Yeah, I was, I was going to say that trying to avoid hate speech, making laws about it is just having a preference of a point on the spectrum, but it doesn't negate the fact that the spectrum still exists. And just because you feel better about making a law about something doesn't actually change the reality of it. Like it's still there. It's a mentality that's still brewing in a lot of people. So just disallowing it from being made public just veils it and allows it to continue on as opposed to having the uncomfortable conversation of where it comes from, why it comes from there, like what we're, what we're actually doing about it. Like we're just patching up holes in the sinking boat per usual, but it's interesting how people just want to feel better. They want to feel better about themselves. They want to feel like society is changing and it's just a veil. It's just a mirage. It's not the reality of it. The people who are fucking racist and bigoted and all that stuff are still there just because there's laws being made about it doesn't change anything. It just disallows for the conversation to be had and for actual growth to be made because growth is made through the uncomfortable conversations. It's not made from canceling people and you know, making laws against people saying certain things that doesn't actually change anything. No, there's been laws against stealing forever. People still steal. The only difference is now they figure out how to steal legally as a business, ripping off customers. And that's okay. But stealing still happens, you see, because we never address the problem. We never address the environment that creates the urge to steal or the need to steal or the mentality that requires itself to steal. We haven't addressed the actual problem. We just made a law to make ourselves feel better. Well, at least they're going to be punished. And none of us grow. Nothing changes. We still have the environment where stealing continues to happen. But now there's a law. Right? And that's, that's the limitation of our, our mentality right now. We just don't see it in the long term. We don't look at the whole spectrum. We, we just try and make the unpleasant parts go away so we can abide by or so that we can live according to this idealized mentality or this idealized image of, of what a human being is supposed to be moral and righteous and, you know, well-respected and attractive and basically a great God and all that. And it's just like, none of that is the case. Just be you and look at it with open eyes and it will change. And if we're all doing that with open eyes, then we all change. And that's the most important thing to do. So that all said, this is the episode. This is the end of this episode of Dualistic Unity Raw. This has been fun. This has been a great conversation. I just want to say thank you to everybody who joined us in the chat section. If you're on YouTube, we really appreciate you subscribing. If you're on Twitch, we really appreciate you following or subscribing, whichever it might be. We're going to continue in 15 minutes 
on Patreon. If you can join us, we would love to see you. There's an hour and a half chat for tier two. And then after that, a two hour chat for tier three. And then in the afternoon, uh, 7 p.m. Eastern, we're going to be doing the second half of our workshop on dating and relationships. That will be available on the website probably about halfway through the week for anybody who wants to get it after the fact. Thanks so much, everyone. This has been a blast. All right. Bye, Ron.